like to thank the song leaders this evening for the wonderful songs that have been led here. I know that we've all been uplifted by the singing. Thank you, Brother Carrasco, for the prayer on our behalf. I want to especially thank you if you're a visitor this evening. I know that we have some folks that's driven some distance to be here, and we're thankful that you're here. And if you are visiting from the community, we want to especially welcome you and to invite you back at every opportunity to worship here at this congregation. This evening, I'd like to study with you for a few minutes from a story that occurred with Jesus a long time ago. Reading some of these stories and some of these events that happened in Jesus' life, I often think that of all the things that he did on the earth, in the Bible, John even says that the world would even contain the books if everything that he said and did was recorded. So we think that of all the things that he did, God has chosen by a select few stories and a select few events to display to us things about Christ and things about uh, the kingdom of God. This evening is one of those stories that we may have read in passing and think this is a wonderful little story and it's, it's entertaining in a lot of respects. But I want to tell you there's so much depth in these stories that we can't, uh, we can't even begin to scratch the surface. And that's the case with the teaching of Jesus. That's the case with the teaching of the, uh, of the New Testament as a rule, completely and entirely. So tonight, we only scratch the surface, but we look at an event that occurred a long time ago where Jesus healed a man. Now, that was nothing new for Jesus. The Bible says that he went about doing good and that he healed the sick. But this particular man was a story that, that uh, the events surrounding that shows us many things, and we want to look at a few of those this evening. Tonight we want to look at the healing of the palsy, and I call him the blessed man. I want you to understand first and foremost what salvation is. Salvation is a restoration of health. The literal meaning of salvation is to be restored in health. Now, when we're sick spiritually... And we are estranged from God and we are away from him. We have a disease that is worse than any disease that's in our, that could ever infect our physical body. So this story, if we looked at it strictly from a physical standpoint, we're going to miss a great deal of the teaching of what the Holy Spirit wants us to know. For this blessed man is much more than just a healing of a body. But it's a restoration of health, completely and entirely. Let's read it. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, and we begin with verse 17. The Scripture says, And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. 
And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins, he said unto the sick of palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy couch, and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them, and took upon that whereupon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things here today. <laughs> strange things. How strange it is for those folks how strange it is for us and for the world that we see this marvelous Jesus, this compassionate friend that could not only heal the sick of palsy, but could restore his spiritual health completely and entirely and forgive his sins. And those doctors of the law, they stood there by and they looked and they saw it and they said, this is strange things that we've seen here today. Let's look at those strange things that they saw. We see a range of emotions in this story. We see a man who was suffering because he was paralyzed. We see compassionate friends. We see anger from the critics of Jesus. And we see a loving, compassionate Savior. Let's look at these people. First of all, let's look at the suffering man. It's a man sick with palsy, paralyzed. How long he'd lived in this condition, I don't know. Have you ever known someone who was paralyzed? I want to tell you about my friend in Mississippi. He's gone now. He's passed on. His name is Jacob Henshaw. Many of you may have heard of him, may have known him through Facebook, through many things. He was a very uh, Facebook popular guy. People loved him all over the country. Little Jacob contracted a disease when he was a little boy. And this disease slowly but surely robbed him of all movement. The last time I saw Jacob, he was <clears throat> lying in his bed <clears throat> and he had the ability to move one finger. They'd give him the TV remote. And they'd give him the TV remote and Jacob would smile. He could control the TV. They could give him his telephone. He could communicate with you. Now Jacob was a unique guy. I've never known anybody quite like him. Because in his condition, he never once complained. 
He didn't fuss about it. He didn't, he didn't cry and bemoan the fact that he was paralyzed. He had obeyed the gospel when he was able to be carried down to the water and had some movement. Lindell Greer baptized him. His family cared for him and they loved him and he was a blessing to all people. But you could not go in that room with Jacob Henshaw and see the suffering that that boy endured and not leave there weeping. He was paralyzed. And he suffered. We read a story like this and it's very difficult for us to comprehend the suffering of paralysis until you see somebody like Jacob, until you get to know him personally and you see someone who's willing not to complain but to be thankful for the fact that he can operate a TV remote. And it makes me feel very small when I was around him, very small. What suffering. And I read this story and I see this man in my mind, in my imagination, a man who had suffered a long, long time. I don't know how long. But the suffering that he endured. And no wonder the emotion of this story of this suffering man should grab us immediately and we should start thinking and making application in our life of the suffering that exists in the sickness of sin. To live without the ability to move is to live without freedom. A man who is paralyzed is, a, is in bondage. And bondage is synonymous with suffering. And bondage is synonymous with sin. Job 36 and 8 says, And if they be bound in fetters, and be holden in cords of affliction, then he showeth them their work and the transgressions that they have exceeded. The suffering of this man was due to the bondage of his paralysis. I submit to you this evening that there are many people, perhaps even in this assembly this evening, that are suffering from a bondage, a paralysis of sin. Perhaps all of us have experienced at one time or another those things that start out so innocently. Those things in our life that start out, I'll tell you, some things we start and we begin when we're small kids and we fight them until we die. And the sin holds us and it grips us to the point that we are bound by it. How many people? How many people today are suffering from this bondage of sin that has paralyzed them? And their spiritual life is paralyzed completely and entirely. Their homes and their families have been ruined because of this bondage of sin. Those, those cords, they need to be released. And you need to be set free. We see then this man as representative, I believe, of all those who would be bound by the cords of sin that has paralyzed them in their life that have become slaves 
to those things that they once thought that they could control, but no longer. Now that control belongs to the sin. Exodus 1 and 13 says that the Egyptians were made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. You know what rigor means? <laughs> it's not pleasant. <laughs> with exacting difficulty. Those guys, when they were under the bondage of the Egyptians, it was not pleasant. It was not three hots and a cot. It was bondage and rigorous bondage. They were made their lives bitter with hard bondage, the scripture says, and mortar and brick and in the manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor, great difficulty. Now, I hope that everyone here can contemplate what the children of Israel's Egyptian bondage is representative of. 1 Corinthians 10 says that these things happen for our examples. And when they were in the bondage of the Egyptians, they served them. And you could call it a paralysis. I believe in the truest sense of the word it was. They were made to serve as the Egyptians dictated to them. They had no choice. Those who are servants of sin and unrighteousness become a slave to the thing that they thought they once could control. Romans 8.21 says, Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Jesus came for that purpose. To deliver us from the bondage of corruption. And to share in the glorious liberty as children of God. What a blessing. We move in this story from this man paralyzed to the compassionate friends and to the good friends that he had. Friends with faith is what I like to call them. I hope that you and I are friends of faith and friends with faith. I hope that you have enough faith that it will cause you to move in the action toward your friends, toward your brothers and toward your sisters. The scripture teaches that he was carried by four men who desired to put him in the presence of Jesus. I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't had people that would carry me into the presence of Jesus, starting first and foremost with my parents to, to bear me and to support me, to know the scripture and to know Jesus, to be put in his presence. Where did we get the idea that a child doesn't need to be carried? Where did we get the idea in this society that a child can dictate whatever actions they want? I've known people that left church because their children didn't want to go there. And they wanted to go somewhere else. And you have too. You know that. 
So I'm going to allow a six-year-old child because of a immature decision to dictate an eternal decision. What sense does that make? But parents that love their children properly and the parents that have faith, they're going to bear their children. They're going to, they're going to carry them. But that's not all. As we get older, we need the support of each other. Now, I've been like Jeremiah in sometimes in my life. Uh, Jeremiah, he said, oh, that I had a, way, a lodging place of wayfaring men that I might leave my people and be for, from them. I'd kind of like to go to the wilderness sometime and get out there in a log cabin and just stay there by myself. But you know, I can't do that. And you can't do that. And, and you know, my living room is a nice place and my, my chair is a very comfortable chair. Robin bought it for me and she says, that's your chair. And you know, I'll walk in the house and I, I probably shouldn't tell this because she's here. She'd hear it on the podcast anyway. But, but I walk in the house, and if she's sitting in my chair, she jumps up. I said, don't jump up out of that chair. You sat there in the chair. This is your chair. But you know, I love that chair, and I love that living room, but I can't stay in that living room. I've got to get with people. I've got to serve people. I have to be one of those friends with faith that's going to bear people and bear them to Jesus. These four men, they desired so much to put him in the presence of Jesus that they would carry him. Well, I hope you're that way and I hope that I'm that way. I want to be just like those four men. Their mission was urgent. Their mission was urgent. Now, there's some things that they understood, and I want you to understand, that made this mission urgent in their minds. First of all, they understood the depth of his sickness. He's paralyzed. He can't do anything for himself. He is to the point in his life that if anything is good going to happen, somebody's going to have to help him. We need to understand that with so many people. It's one thing to be a cheerleader, but it's another thing to be that technician <laughs> that's going to pick them up and bind their wounds and put healing oil and salve on those wounds and going to pay the bill and say, if there's anything else that needs to be paid, I'll pay it when I see you. And I'll be this good Samaritan. Won't you? Now, if you understand the urgency of the matter, you'll be like one of those four guys. They also understood the hopelessness of his situation. You see, without Jesus, we're all hopeless. Plain and simple. And if I'm not in the presence of Jesus, then I, I am without hope. And you are too. That's why I believe that when Jesus was at Martha and Mary's house, that 
Martha, when she comes in there and she says, you know, but Mary's not helping me. Can't you do something about this situation? Uh, I'm, I'm busy in there and everything, and she's not helping me. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, thou art cumbered and troubled about many things, but Mary hath chosen that good part, and it shall not be taken away from her. That good part is to sit at the feet of Jesus and to be in his presence. That's the good part. And if we can't understand the hopelessness hopelessness of a situation with our brethren and with our children and with our friends and our neighbors, if we don't understand that hopelessness, we'll never be one of those persons to help carry him. And then we need to understand who can bring salvation. A lot of times we want to be that person that wants to pass along the instruction manual. Now, I'm not opposed to an instruction manual. Do not misunderstand me. I uh, saw recently a video. I heard it on the news, and then I went to YouTube, and I wanted to see this thing in action. I just couldn't believe it. This guy jumped. He, he, he was going to uh, hang glide. You probably heard about it. And he was going to have this instructor help him. But he forgot to put the strap on to the hang glider. Do you remember seeing that? And they take off over the hill, and they're for soon they're a thousand feet in the air, and this guy's hanging on to the pants leg of the instructor. What do you think the, what do you think he needed? You think he needed somebody to come along and say, "Well, here, read this. This will help you." Read a, read a, read a uh, self-improvement manual. Obviously, you're not uh, very tuned into details. You forgot to put the, the, the leather strap on that's going to hold you onto this hang glider. Uh, get into some details here. This is an instruction manual. This will help you. Some people have reduced the Bible to nothing more than that. I want to tell you, the Bible's much more than that. Much more than that. Now, the Bible is an instruction manual, but it's much more than that. How is it so? Because it takes us to the feet of the one who can save us. It takes us to the cross of the one who can save us. I'll tell you what the old boy needed that was on the hang glider, hanging on by one hand and holding on to the pants leg of the instructor. He, he needed a savior is what he needed. He needed a Savior. And tonight, that's your need and my need is we need a Savior. We need Jesus. More than anything in this world, we need him. And so does everybody outside these doors. When you leave this building this evening, And you go out into the mission field of life. You're looking at people that have a depth of sickness. And they are in a situation that is hopeless unless they come to the one who can bring salvation. We're given a command, a commission, to preach the gospel question is, do we lack compassion on our fellow man? Are we willing to do that? Will you help your fellow man? 
be healed from his sins. You can't heal him. But the presence of God was in the house that could heal him. The presence of God was in the house. Remember that in the reading? And the power of God was in the house to heal him. It's Jesus who can heal. And he can heal all manner of sickness, both physical and spiritual. So these four men, they carry this man up to the roof. I don't know how high the roof is. It doesn't matter. I don't know how sturdy the roof is. It doesn't matter. I know that they had to take extreme measures to get this man to Jesus. And they were willing to do that. They tore off some tiles off of the roof. And they lowered this man down to the presence of the Savior. Now verse 20 says that it is a faith that can be seen. When Jesus saw their faith. You see, we have an obligation. And if you neglect your loved ones and you neglect those people around you that you have opportunity with, who will carry the burden? Who? One of the worst thoughts that I can imagine, and it's expressed in many songs in many ways, and it is a terrible, terrible thought is to be standing before God on the day of judgment and I look around and I see one of my loved ones and I see one of my grandchildren or I see one of my children and they look at me and they say, you did not teach me. You did not tell me. Why? The world of religion expects someone else to do it. Now, that's just the truth. They do. But we are shown in this story four nameless men that held no degree, that held no notoriety in the community that we know of, that held no special place with anybody. Four nameless men that was willing to bear their friend to Jesus. And if we neglect, who will do it? And will they ever find Jesus? Do you realize that it may be you that is the last chance for that loved one that you have in your home or your family? Maybe you. So I ask you, is your faith visible? Is your faith one like these four men? Can it be seen? Our cry when we preach the great commission of Jesus is the same as it's always been. Just come and see. Come see a man. Come see a man who told me all things I ever did, this woman said. She had this burden that she was willing to bear and she goes to the community and she goes to her friends. Come see a man who told me all things I ever did, the Messiah. And the call of the apostles is just come and see. But you see, if we never invite and we never bring people to the presence of Jesus, who will bear that burden? The next group of people that we see in this story are the critics of Jesus. And the critics are all too many. Verse 21 says, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, 
Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now they had that right, didn't they? But what they didn't have right is they were not willing to accept the deity of Jesus. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You see, they refused the deity of Jesus. We talked about who is Jesus yesterday morning. And we have to accept his son of man. We have to accept the fact he was born of flesh, but we also have to accept the fact he was born of God. He is God. And Jesus could forgive sins. And they refused the deity of Jesus, these critics did. Let me point out that the emphasis of healing in this story is one of spiritual and not physical. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. If you'll notice, what Jesus healed first and foremost was this. Whether it's easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee. When when they lowered this man down to Jesus, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. I see this faith. You You came to the right place. You came to the Savior. Your sins are forgiven. Then the critics, oh, oh. Blasphemous. Why, we know him. He's all too common. He's just a carpenter's son. So Jesus asked him, what's it easier to say? Thy sins be forgiven thee or rise up and walk. Now, notice this about Jesus, and we need to, we need to notice this so, so closely when we pray to God. His first priority in your life is that your soul be saved. Now, I pray for healing all the time for my brethren, for my family. I pray for safety and security, but if I only have a healed body and I have a polluted soul, what's the value? Jesus' first and foremost priority is that we can be saved and we can go to heaven with him. And we can be in his house. So therefore, Jesus, to show that he is God, because these critics would not accept that fact, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. And that's the, that's the power of God to save. That's the power of God to heal. He said unto the sick of palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy couch and go into the house. Jesus could have healed everybody of their physical ailments. He's God. He could have waved his hand over the world and say, everybody be healed and nobody ever be sick again. But he didn't do that, did he? Because our physical existence is important to him, but it's not as important as our eternal existence soul. If a man gains the whole world and loses his own soul, what has he gained? So Jesus forgave sins. And then to show that he is able to forgive sins, he healed a body. But this healing of a body shows also this freedom that is set forth in these sins. Jesus is the forgiver of sins, the compassionate Christ, the compassionate Savior. The gospel, the good news, 
is the fact that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again, and he can heal sins. He can bring forth and restore health, and he can give salvation to those who are sick spiritually. Colossians 2.13 says, And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Here the analogy is death, a separation from God. And the quickening is to be made alive again, a restoration of health completely and entirely, having forgiven you all trespasses. Colossians 1.13 says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy couch, and go into thy house. This physical healing is a precious thing. But the healing of your soul is what really matters. And I'm here this evening. My purpose in this lesson for us is to take the emphasis off the physical and to place it upon where it needs to be. Upon the spiritual, upon your soul's welfare, upon your relationship with God. Are we in a state of paralysis tonight because of sin? Do we have people in our life that we love, that we hold dear, in a state of paralysis because of sin? And are we willing? To love them enough to bear them to Jesus? Are we willing to lower them down to the Savior who can heal them? Scripture there says, and <laughs> strange things. I find that humorous. It seems to me the things you don't want to believe are always strange. They're the oddball deals, you know. The Bible, so many, so many people, they look at the Bible and say, that's a strange book. I mean, who in the world thought of, could think of all that stuff? And who could even understand it? That's a strange book. These things of God, all people of the world, they call them strange things. I'll tell you what made this strange for these folks. They saw a threefold miracle. And this threefold miracle happens every day for those who come to Jesus. Their sins can be forgiven. Their thoughts are read. Everybody, God knows all of our thoughts. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows what you thought yesterday. He sees to the depth of your soul. He sees all those things. And the palsy can be healed. Those who have been in bondage of sin can be released and be made free. Jesus said that's why he came, to set us free. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
That invitation that Jesus gives us is an invitation not to a heavy burden, but it's an invitation to the one who can bear all of our pains and all of our sorrows and bear all of our sins. Jesus was a carpenter's son, and he made many yoke. The yoke was a collar that went over the oxen's neck. And that collar allowed that oxen to pull the heavy burden that was behind him without cutting into his flesh. And Jesus said that he would get under that burden with us and that he would carry, help us carry and pull that burden. And he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The invitation is to come to Jesus for this. Secondly, Revelation twenty two seventeen 17 says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Him that is a thirst, come. Whosoever will, let him come. The invitation is always made by two parties. Always. The spirit and the bride. As the bride of Christ, we become one of those four that will bear the burden and bear the sick and the lamed and the maimed. Those who have been taken and been robbed by sin and take them to Jesus. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will come unto me and open unto me, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. Jesus' invitation for you is to come tonight to open the door of your heart to him so that you can have restoration of health and you can be set free. Our encouragement to the church. Let's be a friend of faith. Let's do that. It's our job. And it's inevitable if we love the Lord. If you're here this evening and we can be of any assistance to you in any way, our invitation for you is to come. Take a seat on the front. Brethren here will help you. Won't you come as we stand and sing?